Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we feature a recording from the 2013 Tucson Festival of Books. Ernesto Portillo, Jr., columnist for the Arizona Daily Star and editor of La Estrella de Tucson, the Star's Spanish-language weekly, interviewed Gustavo Arellano, author of the syndicated Ask a Mexican column. Gustavo Arellano is editor of the Orange County Weekly. The two discussed Arellano's book, Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America. Your book was, uh, it was, re- it was well-received. Well mm-hmm. um, however, what was your uh, most harsh, uh, what was your harshest criticism? The harshest criticism of the book, none really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still have these Mexican food, food purists who... They get mad at me because they say, oh, you're saying Taco Bell is as good as like authentic Mexican food. And I tell them, first of all, again, there's no such thing as authentic Mexican food. Secondly, I'm not a fan of Taco Bell. I'm not a fan because of of their success. The food's just not good. I have tried them so many times and the food is just not that good. However, that said, it's still Mexican food. It's fast food Mexican food but it's still a type of Mexican food. So that's the only real criticism I get. I, I call them Bailasistas after Rick Bayless. Oh, Rick Bayless. Yeah, <laughs> which in the book... I, you slam him pretty nicely. Well, hey. he slammed a Pulitzer Prize winner. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he didn't slam me. Quick story on Bayless. So um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I go uh, cover a lecture by Jonathan Gold, who's now with the Los Angeles Times. He's the only food critic ever to win a Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm prize for food criticism, a friend of mine, amazing guy, so he gives this lecture about this whole idea of authenticity, uh, about especially with Mexican food. So he starts talking about Rick Bayless, who, who opened up a restaurant in Los Angeles called Red O, and in the lead up to Red O, he's saying, the reason I'm opening up a restaurant in Los Angeles is because I want to teach people in Southern California what authentic Mexican food is. Oh. Exactly. So you start with that provincialism. So Jonathan talked about that. He was very kind. But, you know, made his criticism. So I write up a blog post on Sunday afternoon when no one's reading. I'm like, hey, I'll just post it up here. Why not? So the first person to criticize, the first person to comment is none other than Rick Bayless. Now, we, got a, we have a lot of celebrities who are commenters like Pope John Paul II, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so I, fr- I first made sure, I made sure to see that it was him. Well, it was because he tweeted out my, our, my story. And his comment was this, like, I never said that. I never said that I was going to introduce uh, authentic Mexican food to Southern California, and I guess you don't need uh, to tell the truth to win a Pulitzer Prize these days, right? So he tweets it out to his fans mm. who start killing us. Jonathan's fans and my fans, uh, they st- it's a huge war. Over a little food, column, fight. food fight, like 400 comments. <laughs> and then finally someone finds video where they have Rick Bayless saying, I'm gonna bring authentic food to Southern California. and. Here, and here's the sad part. Rick Bayless, Rick Bayless, I would argue, is a titan of Mexican food in this country. He really popularized the idea of regional Mexican cooking. He really did. Well, him and you know his predecessor, Diana Kennedy, but the two of them together, they really did a lot to push, for, push forth the idea that there is such a thing as Mexican food that's not a combo plate or taco. So he gets his, he gets his uh, due diligence in the book like in an objective way, but... When I do that chapter, I'm like, well, folks, I'm going to give you the history of Rick Bayless, but before this, you've got to know that he's kind of a diva. So there you go. <laughs> you mentioned Diana Kennedy. There are, of course, since Diana Kennedy, a, a slew of, of uh, authors of Mexican cookbooks. Um, 
Uh, who are your favorites and um, who is someone we should be looking for, an up-and-coming? Up-and-coming Mexican cooks, or at least cookbooks, well, there's one being done right now. It's called The Book of Chicano Cooking. I can't remember what the, the name of the guy is right now. Chicano but Cooking? Chicano Cooking. Yeah, so that's going to involve... We have our own cooking? We have our own cooking. <laughs> oh, wow. Absolutely. Well, because no one's ever done this, uh, you know, a book sort of geared toward that. Um, another, who's the other one? Well, Aaron Sanchez, you know, he's, everyone knows him more, everyone knows him more for his many television appearances than they do for his cooking, but he's the son of, very, basically the woman who's in the book, whose name escapes me right now, but she, when President Reagan asked a group of American chefs to, you know, get together and to get the, you know, because there was going to be like 400 French chefs coming into the White House, so President Reagan said, okay, I want to have representatives of American cooking. So one of the traditions was Mexican cooking. And it was this woman, um, she used to have Rosa's Mexican kitchen. Oh. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Aron Sanchez, a very good chef. So any of the books that he has, definitely go for those. Uh, let's get back to tequila. The other day I was at a friend's house and he pulled out a bottle of, of tequila, but it wasn't labeled tequila. It came from Mazatlan. Uh, and it's it's uh, said it's made there, and it's made out of uh, uh, agave plants. Um, and of course, in Sonora, we have uh, bacanora, which is a, a form of tequila, but cannot be called tequila. Uh, there is a lot of mystery behind, and maybe not so much mystery, but uh, explain to us how the Mexican government uh, labels uh, tequila or allows ma uh, manufacturers to label their product tequila or not labeled tequila? How does that work? In my book, I, I devote a whole chapter to Mexican alcohol because the rise of tequila is, it's, it's a fascinating history that really tells you a lot of how the Mexican government, how the Mexican government influenced so much this idea of what a Mexican is to the rest of the world. So during the 1930s, you know, you had the Mexican government under Lazaro Cárdenas, they wanted to promote Mexico as, you know, this modern country, this great country with a lot of heritage. They had a great film industry. So what they decided to do was basically take the culture of the state of Jalisco, which is, you know, on the Pacific Ocean there, like kind of central, central Western Mexico, and promote anything Jalisense as being authentically Mexican. So, you know, the whole idea of the charro, the man in horseback, the whole machismo, that comes from Jalisco. Mariachi, that comes from Jalisco. And the big drink of Jalisco, of course, is tequila. So, in these movies, you know, men on horseback singing songs of love and all that, that came from, you know, it was all basically Jalisco. And why Jalisco? Because in Mexico, the myth of Jalisco is that here, especially in a region called Los Altos de Jalisco, the highlands of Jalisco, kind of be, what, what would be the American corollary? It wouldn't be Appalachia, but, you know, basically this, like, mountainous region with all these virtuous folks, you know, and the big key, though, was that these people, that they were all of pure Spanish blood, that they had never intermarried with Mexican, they were patriotic Mexicans, they were very, very Catholic, so that was the whole chattel thing that went around the world. So at the same time, you have all these tequila makers, they're starting to export tequila all across the world, especially into the United States, and so the Mexican government, they decided, okay, we're only, if, you know, we're going to promote tequila above everything else, and to make sure that it's Jalisco that gets all the credit, we're going to make a law saying that you could that tequila, the, the, the drink known as tequila, could, has to follow these very specific guidelines and it has to be grown in Jalisco. Ever since then, it's expanded to other states. So now te, tequila is only tequila if it's grown in Jalisco, Guanajuato, Nayarit, Tamalipas, and then I always forget the other state. Nuevo Leon. I, it might be Nuevo Leon. 
But yeah, you know, that wasn't the most popular drink in Mexico at the time. That was just one of, really the most popular drink was mezcal. And really the most popular drink was pulque, which pulque is just fermented agave sap that, how do I describe it? It tastes like uh, fermented milk and spit, which is, which is, yeah, she just said it's it's like you're drinking boogers. (laughs) But this was, this was the original Mexican alcohol. Tequila only dates back to the 1600s. Distillation did not exist with indigenous populations of Mexico. But what happened then, tequila became so big that even for most Mexicans, like I didn't know what Bacanora was until last year. You know, and then you go to Chihuahua, they have Sotol. You go to even Jalisco itself, you have Raicilla. Like every region in Mexico has their own, uh, indi- their own uh, native ferment, uh, rather uh, distilled alcoholic drinks. But tequila just rose above everything because it was Jalisco. And full disclosure, like I always talk trash on Jalisco because I'm from Zacatecas and we have like this eternal rivalry <laughs> going with each other. <laughs> I love people from Jalisco, of course, but some of your back. best friends are from Jalisco. Some of my best friends are Jaliscenses. <laughs> what are you, um, what's the new project you're thinking of doing? Well, the new project, I'm trying to turn that mm-hmm. book into a television show. That's all I can say right now. I know how the Hollywood industry happens, so I'm not I'm not saying I'm not putting my, I'm not resting my hopes on it. Let's put it that way. Uh, maybe in six months you'll hear some some great news, and then I'll you know blast it out as much as I can. But I think this would. What would you like to see in a television program based on this book? A, a, a cross of diners, drive-ins, and dives, but with uh, no reservations put in. So my big thing, like, there's so much I didn't cover in this book. There's so so much. I just hit on the big stories. What I would love to do is like get one hour, half an hour, one hour, or one hour, whatever they give me, and devote each episode to something. It could be like the food in Tucson, just a whole show devoted to Tucson. Or it could be a show just devoted to the taco. It could be a show devoted to, um, you know, here's like a story, this amazing person coming in and out, and just, just profiling, again, all the great Mexican food in this country. Are you thinking of asking Bayless to host the program? <laughs> he, he already has his show. It's not my Mexico. Mexico won't play it one dish at a time. On PBS and... You know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I, he knows his stuff, obviously, but he's not. He's celebrating what's in Mexico mm-hmm. because for him, that's the authentic stuff. The stuff up here, it, it's not worthy of adulation. I would argue otherwise, mm-hmm. that this food, there's amazing stories. There's amazing dishes. I was only to scratch the surface. And really what I tell people is like, as I go around the country with this, I tell them like, this is, I wrote the first chapter. You guys get to do the rest. Like you document the history mm-hmm. of Mexican food in this country. It's, you know, here in Tucson, you guys are a little bit better at it because you have Maribel Alvarez over at the U of A, you know, but other places there's like nothing, no, no coverage of it at all. Would you like to ask some questions uh, of Gustavo? Yes, sir. If what if Anel is your number four, what are your top three? So the, so the top three, number three is a taco truck in the city of Santa Ana in Orange County, I, which is a, my favorite taco truck of all time, they serve this taco called the Taco Acorazado, which translate in English as the battleship taco. So what it is is handmade tortilla, corn tortilla, thick like this, yay high or yay wide. They put a bed of rice on it, then they put milanesa, so breaded beef, a breaded beef cutlet. They put some grilled cactuses on top of it, some cotija cheese, some onions, and then some salsa. You don't. You can't eat the. You can't just pick it up. You have to deconstruct the taco, and then you eat it. <laughs> Amazing spot. Number two is um, Chico's Tacos in El Paso, Texas. This amazing, like only in El Paso type of place where they, they call them roll tacos, 
but we would call them taquitos or flautas, but you get like four or five of them. You get them in like this, kind of like those food containers. You put a whole bunch of tomato salsa on it. Then you put some yellow cheese, melt it in, and then some green sauce on it. This is this an amazing spot, so amazing that there was once a fire at Chico's Tacos, and then there was almost a riot when the when the fire when the fire department said, "Sorry, we're closed for the night." People wanted their Chico's Tacos, so people got very upset. The great the great Chico's uh, riot, best restaurant in the United States, or no, I call it the greatest. I in, you know in my introduction I said I'm not say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say best anything. I'm going to say greatest because there's also stories behind it. The greatest dish in the United States is something called the Mexican hamburger from Denver, Colorado. And it's at a place called Chubby's Burger Drive-In. And the story of the Me a Mexican hamburger, by the way, is a burrito made of beans and chicharrones, so pork rinds, with a hamburger patty in the middle of it. And then it's, you know, some people are grossing out right now. It gets, it gets better. Then it gets, we Californians call it a wet burrito. I, you know, folks in New Mexico and Denver, they call it smothered. So smothered in chili, but it's not the red or green, you know, the great debate. It's orange, like the Broncos orange chili. <laughs> and so this is a dish that w no one knows who invented it, but the, the, the person who basically made it popular was this old, like woman named Stella Cordova who opened up this Chubby's Burger Drive-In when she was 69 years old wow. and worked at this place until she was 101, became an icon. And I mean, for me, the, the Mexican hamburger is, you know, everything that's great about the Mexican-American experience. You, you get the indigenous part with the tortilla. You get the American part with the hamburger. You get the Mexican-American part with the chili and all that. It's just an amazing, amazing dish and the stories. And the greatest thing about, for me, the greatest thing about this is that this Mexican hamburger only exists in Denver. So when people think like there's quote unquote Mexican food, there's so much diversity. Like caldo de queso, you're not going to find it anywhere else in the United States at all. You can't even find it in California. That kills me. I need caldo de queso. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great soups in the world. I, I wish I had the time to go document Mexican food across the world because it exists. I always, I've heard for so long these horror stories of, oh my gosh, I had Mexican food in Berlin back in the 90s, and it was the most <laughs> vile thing. Things are changing now. Uh, you know, the world is starting to love Mexican food. And my first chapter actually talks about the food that Mexico gave to the rest of the world, like chocolate, vanilla, chili, you know, chili peppers. Like, you, you, can't, you can't imagine Indian food without the chili pepper, which came from Mexico. You can't imagine Italian cooking without the tomato, which came originally from South, you know, from South America, but was first exported from, um, from Mexico on, you know, back to Spain. So that's, that's something that still needs to be written. In terms of, Mex of American food that's going down to Mexico, well, God, you know, everyone always raves about Mexican Coke and how authentic it is. <laughs> Last I heard, Coca-Cola was based in Atlanta. Um, there's that, and then here's an interesting thing: is ramen, like instant ramen. The biggest, con the second biggest consumer of instant ramen, the no, third biggest consumer of instant ramen in the world after Japan and the United States is Mexico. Mexicans love their Chinese food, although of course ramen is um, is Japanese. But you know, we call them all chinitos, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> You are listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our guests today are Ernesto Portillo Jr. and Gustavo Arellano, recorded at the 2013 Tucson Festival of Books. Portillo is a columnist for the Arizona Daily Star and editor for La Estrella de Tucson, the Star's Spanish-language weekly. 
Gustavo Arellano is the editor of the Orange County Weekly and author of the syndicated Ask a Mexican column. The two discussed Arellano's book, Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America. Yes, sir. Have you been to Frontera Grill? What do you think? Oh, for, uh, Rick Bayless's restaurants, they're good. Frontera Grill, I mean, that Topolobampo, that's a higher-end one, and yeah, that one's a little bit more expensive. I wouldn't say it's worth your uh, money, but Frontera Grill, it's good. It's reasonably priced, um, good food, and you know, Bayless, Bayless uh, is a very big believer in getting more Mexican-American youth to become high-end chefs. So in that sense, he's good. Again, I just wish he didn't call a Pulitzer my friend a liar, a guy, you know, a guy who won the Pulitzer Prize. That's just, that's thin skin, man. Come on, you can't do that stuff. What's amazing, you mentioned Scandinavia. Um, the Los Angeles Times back in, I think it was 2000, Gregory Rodriguez, a columnist, mm -hmm. he did a story about how tacos are becoming Sweden's national dish. Hard shell tacos, like, you know, he got into more detail of it, but he was basically saying that the Swedes, they learned how to eat tacos, not from Mexicans, but from watching American television shows. And the, it's amazing to me, again, how much America loves Mexican food, that now Mexican food is starting to become like a proxy for the United States. Even with a lot of these American, you know, Mexican restaurants across the world, yeah, a lot of the native folks are eating there, but a lot of people who are eating at these Mexican restaurants in Europe, in Australia, or whatever, are Americans who are looking for a taste of home. And what is a taste of home? Mexican food. In fact, what happened, the, the reason why canned tortillas started in the beginning was because there was a man from El Paso named George Ashley. George Ashley had a company called Ashley's Mexican Food, and he was getting, you know, El Paso, a lot of military bases around it. So he was getting a lot of military men stationed all around the globe saying, I need some tortillas. I need some tortillas. You know, I, you can't send them fresh because especially in those days, mail was, you know, next to impossible. It takes weeks and the tortillas would rot. So uh, Ashley, George Ashley decided to put these tortillas in a can and he would send them around the globe. In the book, actually, one of the great ambassadors to Mexican food has been the military, you know, because a lot of military bases are in the Southwest. So you get boys, and, you know, boys from all across the you know, world during World War II coming into El Paso, coming into, uh, especially in Southern California in Pendleton, guess what? There's a lot of Mexicans there. When the guys go out for a night on the town, they go eat at a cantina or a Mexican restaurant. They love the food. Then they go back home to the Midwest or to the farm. They're like, I need my Mexican food. Where can I get it to this day? As early as the 1880s, the Navy was giving uh, chili con carne to sailors as, you know, as part of their provisions. It's amazing. What would be my definition yeah. of Chicano food? I would, I would have to say it's something that's, it's something that's been Mexicanized. In, you know, in other words, like the taco, the taco is a taco. It's all across the United States. But something that has been Mexicanized, a, a, a prior food stuff that's been Mexicanized. My best example I could give you are teriyaki bowls. Now, in Southern California, you know, we all know Yoshinoya and like these teriyaki bowls. So in Southern California, though, in the 40s and 50s, the main Japanese community, uh, Japanese American community was up in Boyle Heights in East Los Angeles. You had this whole mix of people. So you had this interaction where Japanese started taking American, you know, Mexican food and Mexicans started, you know, incorporating Japanese food. So what you have now in Southern California, you have these teriyaki bowl places where the main consumer base are Mexicans. And what's happened is that the teriyaki bowls, they've become more and more like Mexican food. So teriyaki, you know, thin, but now they make it more with carne asada, you know, more, more thinner like carne asada. Instead of 
you know, the green onions. Now they have cebollitas on top of it. And not only do you have teriyaki sauce, but now they give you also tapatio hot sauce to put on with it. So, you know, the, 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 I grew up on this stuff. And, you, you know, you don't think about this stuff. But that, for me, is like the epitome of Chicano cuisine. Like a teriyaki bowl, just, you know, put some tapatio or some hot sauce. Or, you know, the other great Chicano dish, of course, is Doritos. Doritos, now multi-billion dollar industry, in my book, I, I revealed for the first time ever that they were invented by a Mexican family that was working at Disneyland in the 1950s. And now it's this huge corporation, and of course, Mexicans just love Doritos. And so what happened uh, last, was it last year? Yes, what happened last year? Doritos in, unveiled Tapatio-flavored Doritos. Because what do Mexicans do? We put Tapatio on Doritos, and so now they have the flavor. Now, it's been a huge bestseller. In fact, now they're gonna introduce next week you guys hear it first they're going to introduce introduce tapatio flavored doritos with lime flavor as well because we always squeeze it and of course what am i going to do i'm going to open up a i'm going to open up this bag of tapatio and lime flavored doritos and put more tapatio and lime on it you have to i'm waiting for a craft mac and cheese tapatio style it's getting there but just that mezcla i mean mexican food has always been the mixing of cultures it was you know the traditional was the spanish and the indigenous, and ever since then, it's just been a mixing. It's been one great big mestizaje. Yeah, do I cover raps in it? The, the, you want to talk about bizarre um, genesis stories. The you know, Major League Baseball manager, Bobby Valentine, he says that he invented the rap. <laughs> Which, if you know anything about baseball, he's a lunatic. So why this? I don't know. But the, the rap... I mean, of course, the wrap is basically a tortilla or a modified tortilla with a whole bunch of stuff in it, which basically is a burrito. The wrap really became the, the first known use of a of wrap for that was only, only dates back to the 1980s and dates back to San Francisco. Of course, in San Francisco, got a bunch of hippies at the time. They, wanna, they love Mexican food. And someone, for whatever reason, decided to call it a wrap. Although what's interesting to me, actually, I didn't really get into this in this book, but for me is... What's interesting is the etymology of Mexican food terms into the American uh, lexicon. So guacamole is not guacamole, it's guac. You know, tortillas, they're torts. I just heard a new one for quesadilla, dillas. <laughs> so Americans, and again, it's like, especially custodians of Cervantes, they're going nuts pulling out their hair. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's just evolution. So Americans, they're Americanizing these, they love their guacamole, but they don't want to say the full word. And you know, those of us with uh, Hispanic names, we've been doing, we, we've been dealing with this forever. So Gustavo becomes Gus and so on, but that's perfectly fine. A again, it, it just gives more life to this. What do you like to put in your dillas? What do I like to put in my dillas? I know dilla, that would just crack me up. Very simple. Just get some queso sacatecano, put some uh, serranos in it, and that's that. I, I don't like mine with meat. Tex-Mex. I love Tex-Mex food. Again, and I feel bad for Tex-Mex because everyone Why? reminds it. <laughs> Why? Exactly. Because I've actually been to Texas. I've spoken to those Tejanos. And it, it, what to me it's interesting is that the four great, the four great traditions of Mexican food in the United States, of course, roughly correlate to what was the American Southwest. So Calmex cuisine, which again is just a ripoff of Sonoran cooking here in Arizona. Then you have New Mexico cuisine, of course, that's a whole other trip. Then you have Tex-Mex. And Denver has its own weird traditions, but of course people always forget about Denver. But Tex-Mex, for decades, that was a predominant idea of Mexican food in this country. 
Tex-Mex's contributions to Mexican food in this country, the combo plate, chile con carne, of course, um, the frozen margarita. You know, these, we laugh at them now, but they, this is what passes Mexican food for so long. And it was ascendant. But now, the, you know, the, the cuisine, the regional cuisine that's ascendant now is Calmex cuisine. Even beyond, you know, the, the contributions of Sonoran cooking, but the whole idea of the lunch truck, the lunch truck, the lonchera, really was commodified and made successful in Southern California. The whole fusion thing, Korean tacos, you know, you're, you're saying, yeah, you know, you put Chinese food and Mexican food forever. We all did that, but it first became popular and hip in Southern California. So Tex-Mex, it's on its way down nationally, but it's always going to exist in the United States. And really, you know, we only know the combo plate, but we don't know the regional specialties. We don't know like the Chico's Tacos Tacos. We don't know the puffy taco of San Antonio, this amazing thick thing. You don't know going down to the valley, getting some cabrito, some kid goat wrapped in maguey leaves and then just, you know, just baked until it becomes as tender as jello. It's great, great food, but it's easy to hate because, hey, it's Texas. We, we all get to hate Texas, unless you're from Texas. You have any Texans in here? So is, so is my cousin. Reminds me of a story. My cousin came from Guadalajara to visit back in the 70s. Her first, her first time in Tucson, her first time to the, to the border area. And uh, we went out to eat, and someone ordered a chimichanga, and she looked at it with horror. <laughs> Just horror. What is that, she asked. It's a chimichanga. It's Mexican food, prima. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, you know, going back to that regionalism, I always love going to Tucson just to see a burro on the menu. Everywhere else in the country, burrito. Here, burro. Same thing with like chile, like chili. Chili all across the United States, except in Texas, chile con carne. That regionalism, I really think it's something that most people don't know because they never experience it, but it's just, it's great. It's wonderful. What about nopalitos? Where do they come from? Well, nopalitos, of course, is one of those. There's very few meals that have stayed with us unadulterated since the time of the ancients. So you have the tortilla, which, you know, gruma and mission tortillas notwithstanding, the basic way of making a tortilla has been unchanged for thousands of years. You have tamales, and then you have another old type of barbecue, barbecue called michiote. Michiote is basically you get some game meat and you wrap it in paper made from the agave plant and just bake it. And then nopalitos. Nopales, you know, that's something that Mexicans have been eating since time immemorial. That's something I don't, it still really hasn't crossed over into the American palate. Not so much, I would probably argue, because people, first of all, they say, you could eat cactus. Aren't the thorns going to get in the way? <laughs> I really do believe that. And then you get, you know, a lot of people, they say, oh, it has a flavor. It's slimy like okra. I've been eating them my entire life. I don't detect that flavor, but you know, eventually, I think eventually they'll come, but they're good. Put some cheese on them. Mm. What, what's happened with the, I mean, now, of course, there's Mexican restaurants all across the United States because the migration of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans over the past 30 years outside of the borders you know, has been unprecedented. But you'd be surprised, like, the oldest Mexican restaurant in Iowa that's still, that's still surviving goes back to the 1940s in Iowa. Um, you know, in New York, even in D.C., there was actually, a, in my research, I found a Mexican restaurant there in the 1890s. You know, of course, it, didn't, it still doesn't exist to this day, so it just goes and ebbs and flows. Um, nowadays, though, it's everywhere. It's everywhere because there's Mexicans all across the United States. Like, for instance, New York, that's a great example of people saying, like, oh, there was never any good Mexican food in New York until, like, a couple of years ago or so. Mexican restaurants have been in New York. Actually, funny story, the first Mexican restaurant in New York was run by Buffalo Bill. 
Buffalo Bill Cody, you know, Wild West book. show. It's in the book. He had a, you know, he had his Buffalo Bill Wild West show traveling across the United States. Early loncheras. Early loncheras, for sure. So, <laughs> so he, he, he has his show in Madison Square Garden, the original one. And so he puts out the ads in the New York Times and all the papers, an authentic Mexican uh, almuerzo. And so you see the menu and lo and behold, it's something that we could still eat today. Picadillo, enchiladas, chocolate, chile con carne. And it was a smash. Of course, you know, it was part of his traveling show. And I've never found anywhere else where he had his pop-up Mexican restaurant. It's so, this history is so unknown that the official Buffalo Bill Museum in Denver, they came to me and they're like, where'd you find this? I'm like, you guys are the ones who are supposed to know. I'm just a lowly reporter here, but absolutely amazing. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Our guests today were Ernesto Portillo Jr. and Gustavo Arellano, recorded at the 2013 Tucson Festival of Books. Portillo is a columnist for the Arizona Daily Star and editor for La Estrella de Tucson, the Star's Spanish-language weekly. Gustavo Arellano is editor of the Orange County Weekly and author of the syndicated Ask a Mexican column. The two discussed Arellano's book, Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America. This has been part two of a two-part series.